Well, good morning, church family. Uh, my name is TJ. I am the students director here at Lex City. Uh, just to prove that I do work with students, I wore the whitest tennis shoes that I have, all right? That's as close as I get to relevant as far as fashion goes. Uh, my wife, Tia, honestly jokes with me all the time. She says, you dress like Tony Hawk, but Tony Hawk like right now when he's 50, all right? But he looks good, so I'm just going to keep rocking it. But um, honestly, we, uh, my wife, T and I, we're excited. In a couple weeks, uh, we get to celebrate being here for about two years. Um, and we've just honestly absolutely loved being a part of this community and church family. Um, but we were laughing. We've been doing the math. We have actually now lived in quarantine longer than we lived in Kentucky pre-COVID. Uh, we lived here about 11 months right before we officially kind of shut everything down with the pandemic. And now we're uh, over a year into this. And so uh, maybe some of you can relate. You moved in the middle of all this craziness. And so shout out to anyone who moved and then got locked in their house or in their dorm room. All right, we feel you. We can relate. But I'm excited to continue on in this series we've been doing called On the Road. And as I was studying kind of this key theme throughout uh, scripture, as I was studying for today, there are some amazingly cool stories that happen in the Bible while people are on the road. It's just such a cool theme. And when I was thinking through, when I think on the road, I was going back in my mind to just some great family road trip memories, all right? I think we all probably have some amazing memories that happened on road trips or on the road. Um, and I started to think how much uh, road trips have changed over the years, especially for the passengers, right? Like, let's start with probably our oldest generations maybe we have in the room or online. You guys remember what it was like to get in that covered wagon, dad's driving the ox. I'm just kidding. I know you're not that old. But some of you maybe do remember a time before cars had seatbelts, all right? Maybe you were there, and it was like the, just the front row seat, and you just crammed as many people into a seat as you had. There was no rules back then. It was the wild, wild west, all right? Um, others of you, maybe you remember the time of station wagons, and all the seats were facing each other, and it was about community, and you're playing car bingo to get, you know, past the time. I grew up right on that uh, kind of time change of where entertainment for the passengers was moving from books and car bingo to electronics. All right, and so road trips started as a kid with the classic I Spy books. All right, I know just that cover alone, millennials are having some nostalgia. Those were the greatest thing. And then it all changed when we got our first Game Boy Color. And then we were able to play video games in the car as long as the batteries would last, and it was the greatest thing. And then the greatest memories, though, I have was upper elementary school. My brother and I figured out you could put one of these high-tech TVs, all right? Yes, Gen Z, that's a TV. We could put that in between the two seats right on the center console, and then we could hook up our PlayStation 2 and power it all through a cigarette lighter. And it was the greatest thing until you forgot to turn off the PlayStation before the car stopped for gas and it blew the fuse and you were back to iSpy for the rest of the road trip. And so I think we all probably have great road trip memories. Some are fun, some might be stressful, some maybe are even traumatic around bathroom breaks, but we all have memories of being on the road. And so today I wanted to look at a story of a man who had the greatest experience of his life while on the road. It was on a road trip that this man comes to find out who Jesus is and ultimately gets the opportunity to be baptized like we're gonna get to see some of our church family do a little bit later. 
And so this is a great story that I'm excited to kind of look at together and hopefully be encouraged and inspired this morning. And so this man's story is found in the book of Acts in chapter 8. And so, as always, if you want um, the Bible on your phone and all of our sermon notes, you can easily log into lexcity.info. All of our content is there for you. But this story is going to start with a man named Philip. And who is Philip? Philip is not uh, one of the disciples. He's not even necessarily one of the early church planters. The first time we see Philip uh, is actually a few chapters earlier in Acts. He is one of the men who uh, is listed as one of the deacons who helps out to kind of take care of the widows who are a part of his church. And here's what I love about Philip. Philip is just a normal guy serving in his church of Samaria, and God is going to call him to be a part of this really special opportunity. And we don't know why God picks Philip, all right? We don't know why Philip seems to be the one that gets to go on this special mission, besides the fact that Philip was just willing to say yes. And I think that's like a mini sermon all in itself of that's all God really needs from us is just say yes when he calls, all right? No extra experience or reputation needed, just say yes. And here's what we're gonna see that God says to Philip in Acts chapter eight, starting in verse 26, says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of the Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. Now this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And so here we have a really interesting character. All right, the Bible says that he's called an Ethiopian. Now, when we hear Ethiopia, many of us probably jump to kind of where we think of the modern day Ethiopia, kind of like northeastern, um, far eastern Africa, all right, uh, home of the greatest long distance runners in the world. Uh, when you grow up with a collegiate D1 runner as your brother, you hear all about Ethiopia. But actually, in the time of Philip, Ethiopian was just a term that referenced uh, someone part of the Kush kingdom. And the Kush kingdom was actually even bigger than what modern day Ethiopia is. And it actually was actually made up more of kind of southern Egypt and then what's modern day Sudan. All right. So for all of you geography fans, that's kind of where this man is from. And so for the rest of today, I'm going to really call this man the Kushite because that's really a true lineage of where he comes from. And it says that this man is a royal official in the court of Kandaki Aminatori. All right, she's this warrior queen of Meroe. And actually, there are still pyramids, even in Sudan, that you can see from this dynasty. And all that to say is this man is a part of a really big, wealthy kingdom. All right? And so it says that he is in charge of all of their treasury. And it also mentions that he is a eunuch, all right, which is going to be very important to the story. We'll see why. But what a eunuch meant is that he had been um, castrated in order to work in the court, all right? This was a common practice. Anyone who worked in the royal court um, would have this done to them so that they didn't have any ideas working with the queen or any of those subjects. And effectively, it was a way to prove loyalty and ultimately diminish any threat from anyone who's working in the royal court. And we're going to see that this becomes important when the man shows up to worship God in Israel or in Jerusalem. But it's, kind of, it's unclear how exactly this man knows about the God Yahweh. All right, the Cushites uh, did come from Cush, one of Noah's uh, grandsons. And so there's a chance maybe there was some remnant that was still worshiping God in this time. 
But the Cushites were known for having tons of gods, tons of religions. They worshiped like the sun in the sky. They worshiped the animals on the ground. Even the Nile itself was a god to them. And so there's a chance maybe this man was just really curious about these Israelites who are worshiping just one God who is the source of absolutely everything. And I think that this man is really more just curious of who is this God that I'm hearing about because we're gonna see when he arrives in Jerusalem, I think if he knew what was gonna happen, I don't think he would have made this long trip. But we see that this Cushite, he leaves his palace position in Meroe. He goes on a 1,200 plus mile long pilgrimage to learn about this God, Yahweh. And when he arrives, two things would have happened that the original readers of Acts would have just already known about happening to him. All right, the first thing is this Cushite would have arrived and tried to go to the temple. And the first thing he would have been told is, hey, Gentiles need to go actually enter over in this side of the temple. And you actually can only get so far in because you're not uh, a Jewish member. All right, and so I can imagine this Cushite would think, well, that's a bummer. Like, I came here, I really wanted to learn about this God. I wanted to see how you worship him. I wanted to learn as much as I can. But fine, at least I'll be able to learn from afar. I'll get in like halfway to the temple and I'll learn kind of what I can. But then he would have gotten to the gate of the temple and he would have seen this sign outside that said, no lame, no blind, and no eunuch may enter here. This was the law of the temple. Could you imagine his frustration when he arrives to this. And now he's already sent home and he's going home rejected. He's probably angry, maybe even a little bit embarrassed. But we see that he's still curious about who this God is. He still wants to learn about this one God who is the source of everything. And we know that he's still curious because it says that he bought himself a scroll. And so in this moment, we have God preparing two different people on their own and he brings them together in this divine timing and their interactions we get to see in Acts chapter eight, verse 28. All right, it says, he was on his way home. He was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And we'll see in a moment why that's important. And then the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. Verse 31, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. Now there's frustration in this man's response. He's like, how am I supposed to understand this if no one is willing to explain it to me? I tried to go to the temple and learn about this God and I wasn't even allowed in it. How am I gonna learn anything about him? But we see that he's still curious about this God because he bought a scroll which was not cheap, all right? There's no Amazon delivery in this time. All scrolls were hand copied from their manuscripts and so there's not very many circulating around in the world right now. But he has the treasury of an entire kingdom so he's able to find a way to buy this scroll. And it says he's reading it aloud on his own, trying to learn who God is. Now, quick side note, if you are like, hey, I'm really curious too in learning more about this God of the Bible, I wouldn't start in Isaiah, okay? Maybe try like John in the New Testament. It's a little easier. Otherwise, you'll be like this this, uh, Cushite who's like gonna need a little help to explain what's going on. And so it says the Cushite invites Philip to come and teach him in verse 31. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 
In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, is this, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Now, we're New Testament believers, and so like, oh, well, obviously that's a reference to Jesus, all right? Jesus himself even says so in Luke that this is being fulfilled in him. But can you think for a moment why this question would be important to this Cushite eunuch? See, some eunuchs were made so voluntarily, but many weren't given a choice, and some were even forced to become so as kids, And so without me going into all the details, can you see why this is a question that's on this man's mind? He says, who is he writing about? Is he writing about himself? Is Isaiah a eunuch too? Because it kind of sounds like it. I feel like this man. And if he was, is he still allowed to worship this God? And then we see in verse 35 that Philip began with that very passage of scripture and then told him the good news about Jesus. And you know, one verse I bet that Philip taught this man about just a few chapters after what they were reading right there, God says this in Isaiah 56, four through six. It says, let the eunuch no longer say, behold, I am a dry tree, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who embrace my covenant. I will make you in my house a name better than sons and daughters, an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. I think this is why someone told him to buy the scroll of Isaiah. And then it says, Philip goes on to tell this man everything about who Jesus is and the love that he has for all of his children. That those who had been left out and weren't included in the kingdom now get to be a part of the family through Jesus. That Jesus was the silent sacrifice who suffered so that we could be made whole again. And then the story finishes in verse 36. We'll close it out. It says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And so he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotos and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Now, what just happened at the end of the story? Did this just end with like some pre-Star Trek like teleportation going on? Uh, The answer is kind of yes, okay? It does seem that God worked some type of miracle here where he moved Philip to a new city so that he could continue to share the gospel. And my favorite thing is that the uh, writer of Acts just basically says it and then just moves on. Like he's like, I don't really know what happened here either, okay? But it happened, so we're just gonna talk about it. And so... My question is, what can, we, what can these two men, Philip and the Cushite, and their interaction on the road teach us this morning? Well, let's start with Philip. All right, here's what I love about Philip. Philip is just a normal guy who shared Jesus with someone who God laid on his heart to talk to. I always have students come up to ask me and even adults ask like, I don't know how to start sharing Jesus with people. What is the very first step? How do you even start conversations about Jesus with people? I think Philip can give us three easy things that we can just follow of how to start conversations about Jesus. Three S's, so to say, all right? He says this, I think we're gonna see show up, start where they're at, and share with one, all right? And so first is just show up. You know what Peter did, or sorry, what Philip did? He showed up where 
the Cushite was at on the road. He wasn't just sitting at the temple like, all right, I hope someone comes today and just talks to me about Jesus. I'm here waiting for someone. No, he showed up on the road where the Cushite was at in his pain, in his sad travels. This is where he goes to meet him. And I think part of sharing Jesus with people is just showing up where people need hope. And I love that Philip was sensitive to the Holy Spirit of who do I need to talk to? Point me to who I should talk to. It says in verse 29 again, that the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. I think the Spirit talks to us in the same way still today. We still get those promptings. Hey, go over to that coworker and just jump into that conversation. Right, we get that prompting, hey, get just join that ministry and just get involved. Or you get that prompting, hey, go introduce yourself to your neighbor or go just talk to your neighbor, see how they're doing today. And when the Spirit prompts us, we have to then show up. So many times we're so afraid of the conversations that we don't even show up in the areas where we would have opportunities to tell people about Jesus. And then we start to wonder, well, why aren't we getting to tell more people about Jesus? Why haven't we had the opportunity? I guess the world just doesn't want to hear him about right now, all right? That's not what they want. I think the opposite is true. I think we have probably stopped showing up in the opportunities where we would have to be able to see and share who Jesus is. Jesus himself says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And it hasn't changed. And so I challenge myself, as much as I'm challenging all of us, When was the last time you just showed up? When was the last time you felt that prompting of, hey, go to that chariot and just stay near, and you actually followed through with it? So many times our answer is, well, next week I'll try and remember to do that. Or I gotta go pick my kids up. I don't have time right now to talk with that person. Right? There's so many excuses that we can have that we actually never show up in the moment. And so we are missing, I think, opportunities to love people and point them to Jesus because we aren't even showing up where they need us the most. And so I think that's the first thing that Philip does right. And then we see Philip do this. I just say, start where they're at. I love that the first interaction between this Cushite and Philip is this Cushite says, so uh, I'm reading this book of Isaiah. I'm trying to learn about who your God is. Is Isaiah a eunuch? Because it kind of sounds like he might be a eunuch too, all right? Like no one teaches you how do you turn the question, is Isaiah a eunuch, into gospel presentation, okay? I went to Bible school. They didn't even teach us how to make that connection. But this is what the eunuch wanted to know. You can see why this question was so important to him. His world revolved around this reality. And so what I love about Philip is he starts there and then because that's where the Cushite was at. See, so many people are scared to talk about Jesus because they're afraid of the questions that people might ask that they're not gonna know answers to. And here's the reality. There is no perfect script of how you're supposed to tell people about Jesus. All right, there's no script I can give you that says if you say this, they're gonna ask this, and then you can answer this, and then they'll say this, and then after step seven, they'll be saved, and step eight, you can be baptized every time. All right, it's just the reality. It's not like that. Everybody has different starting points and different questions that they're asking about who God is. See, when I was in college, I uh, worked at a snowboard shop, and it was so much fun. And so I'm going to Bible school, learning how to be like professional Christian during the day, and then I would go and work with some amazing potheads. All right, and I loved them. My coworkers were amazing. We had such a fun team. 
And there were times where I did get to tell my coworkers about who Jesus was and about what I believed. But here's the thing, none of the starting conversation questions were, hey, TJ, can you tell me, like, what does it mean that Jesus really died for all of my sins? Or, hey, TJ, can you tell me the difference or the relationship between baptism and salvation? I'm really confused by that, okay? Our conversation started much more like this. These are real questions I remember uh, having with my coworkers. Uh, one of them was, TJ, so Buddha's just another name for Jesus, right? I'm like, okay, that's where we're starting at. Great, like that's, that's what you wanna know. That's kind of where we're at. Or obviously a favorite question that they loved, like, so marijuana isn't in the Bible, so why won't you do it, right? Or so when your girlfriend comes to visit you in Chicago, she doesn't stay the night in your dorm room? Like, you live in Chicago, why would you ever like try and pay for her to stay somewhere else? That doesn't even make sense. It's like, okay, that's, that's where you want to know about what I believe, that's your starting point. This is my favorite question that I remember. Uh, they said, so when I was a kid, uh, a priest gave me a cracker for communion and I wasn't hungry, so I spit it out and put it in my pocket for a snack for later. Like I'm in trouble for that, right? Okay, these were how our conversations were starting. And there was, eventually I was able to get to more salvation type questions and talk to them about them, but this is what they were curious about. This is where they started. And so this is where we're like, okay, here's where we're starting to teach you about who Jesus is and what it is that I believe. And honestly, it taught me to really appreciate questions. Even the hard ones that I don't know the answers to, I want you to ask them because it lets me know where your starting point is. And as you get more comfortable at answering questions, you start to learn a lot of times there's also a question behind the question that they're really wrestling with about who God is. Like you're asking me about this communion story as a kid because you really wanna know, does God actually forgive me? Does he hold things over my head? And you're gonna give me a small example because you really wanna know, does God also forgive these deeper examples that I feel like I need forgiveness for? And so I think that's so important that we start where people are at because just like the Cushite, many people are starting in a place of hurt or rejection or confusion. And so we gotta love them where they're at and then like Philip, we can move conversations to who Jesus is and what he's done for our lives. And so it's as simple as that. It's show up, it's start where they're at, and then I'm just gonna say share with one. Here's one of the coolest parts of the story. Philip takes the time to share Jesus with this Cushite, and then this Cushite takes the gospel back to his entire kingdom in Northeast Africa, all right? And Philip gets to be a part of this chain of people that brings the gospel to the entire continent of Africa because he took the time to share with one person who then shared with many others. See, we wanna bring the good news to the city of Lexington. It's not that hard if we just start with one person at a time. Now, some of you are super gifted and you can share with like 10 or 100 people and that's great. Like you'll just speed up our timeline, okay? But all of us are capable of sharing with one person who can then, when we show them who Jesus is, who can then share it with one person, who will then go on to share with one person and it just multiplies over time. All right, please, if we can do this with essential oils and protein powders, we can do this with the gospel, right? You wanna see change, start with one person and see how it changes your work, how God can change your school, and ultimately how God can change even your family or our community as a whole. See, we see that Peter, or Philip, starts with one 
Cushite. And then thousands of miles away from where this whole thing started in Jerusalem, you have a man on fire for God bringing the gospel to this whole new area, all because Philip took the time to share with him. And so in just a few minutes, we're gonna get to witness some baptisms this morning. And even these baptisms are only happening because someone shared Jesus with these people. And guess what? That only happened because someone shared Jesus with that person. And so many times, we just need to start with one. Okay, you don't have to save the entire world by yourself, but do share Jesus with somebody. Because then you will continue to share and they will continue to share and you will sometimes get to see the joy and experience the joy of seeing someone choose to be baptized and publicly put their faith in Jesus because you were able to share with them. And here's what I can also promise you, you will be a part of hundreds of other baptisms that you won't even know about until you get to heaven and you get to see the influence that your chain has been able to have through people continuing to share. And it can all start with sharing with one. And so you wanna see the next generation choose to follow Jesus. Have you started with even discipling one? All right, you wanna see a revival in your own generation. Have you started with just one? Again, some of you have the capacity, you can have a whole crew walking with you. All right, keep doing it, keep growing with it, that's great. But many of us, if we're honest, we're sitting at zero right now. So my challenge to you is share with just one and see how God can continue to use that to grow his kingdom. Philip was obedient to share with one man God laid on his heart to talk to and it was able to start a church movement on a different continent. Show up, start where they're at, share with one. Philip does that and this Cushite man understands who Jesus is. He accepts him as his savior and then he chooses to be baptized as a symbol of this new life that he has. And we're gonna get to hear some stories of people who are making this public decision today. But maybe you're sitting here this morning or you're tuning in online and you feel like you just identify more with this Cushite man right now. You feel like you're curious about who Jesus is but there's just something keeping you from getting connected with him. See, the Cushite asked Philip, he says, what is keeping me from being baptized? All right, I wasn't allowed to be a part of the temple because of my race and my eunuch status. This Jesus thing sounds good, but what's keeping me from coming to him? There's got to be something. And the beauty is that there is nothing that unqualifies you. There is nothing that keeps you from coming to a relationship with Jesus. Now there's life change that comes after it. We're called to live differently when we do come to that decision, but there's nothing keeping you from coming to Jesus if you want to. And so if you are like this Cushite and you're here just trying to learn more about who this God is that we believe in and that we are worshiping, what I would just love to encourage you to do, just go to lexity.info and just click that I prayed button and there's a box that says, I want to know more about having a relationship with Jesus. Just click that and we would love as a church just to be able to come answer any questions you have or tell you more about who this Jesus is and what it means to follow him. And so as we close just with some baptisms this morning, let's celebrate these together and let's be inspired and encouraged to start with one this week.